0: Yes, after hearing all that, you wonder what the hell I'm doing here, and I'd like to know myself. But uh, I appreciate that some of the few, the proud have stayed here. There are a few people left in the room, and I appreciate that. Of course, maybe that's because of the bad weather. I don't know if you're here because of me. And I do hope my slides are more visible than the last one. But anyway, uh, I'm glad to be here. I, I love to spend time with the PAs because you guys just love to suck up stuff like a sponge of the knowledge. And I've worked a little bit on this trying to come up with some various uh, interesting new products that some of you may be interested in. Here's my disclosures in accordance with the American Academy of Dermatology. Obviously, I do a couple... Promotional lectures and work with some of the companies and again some of the products. I'm going to talk about today uh, Will be with some of these companies others not and again I have just tried to pick out some interesting things for you Because there's a whole lot of new stuff going on and we're not going to have time in just uh, my hour Although Neil was graciously concluded early maybe that'll give me a little more time But I'm sure all of you want to get out of here and go about your business tonight. So let's go alphabetically We'll start with acne Again, is there anything new in acne? Yeah, there are a couple of things. Uh, again, some of you uh, are very young in this room. Some of you maybe are not as old as me, but have been around a while. But until isotretinoin Accutane was approved in 1982, there's just no way to treat these kind of patients. Uh, and again, uh, the suicide rate, as you can imagine, was higher in those days because these kids psychologically and physically had a lot of problems to deal with. Could you imagine being in gym class and this is the kind of guy that you are and you flip a coin in high school, shirts and skins, and then have to take off your shirt and look like that? I mean, we see it's physically scarred, but how about psychologically? It has to really be a a difficult thing to deal with. So uh, isotretinoin has been available. and Then in 2006, this wonderful program called iPledge came about and immediately it dropped 40% of the amount of prescriptions. Of course, there was an overabundance of prescriptions from 1992 to 2000. There was an increase in 250%. In the year 2000, there were 2 million prescriptions written for isotretinoin. And again, you all know the story. If you were around back then, you'd have a a young lady come in whose friend had terrible acne, and she had three pimples and wanted this medication because her friend did great and looked terrible. So again, we probably overprescribed. So it was approved then. There's roughly about 400,000 patients a year now, 13 million in the U.S., 20 million worldwide. It's a derivative of vitamin A, as you can see, and these retinoid receptors are ubiquitous and that's probably what accounts for some of the problems that we know we have. I personally don't believe in causality of um, (coughs) IBD, And I think that some of you have seen some of the new articles out that probably point that direction. But that doesn't mean you can't get sued for that. So there is a new isotretinoin formulation. And some of you, again, I don't think you were around back in 1981 or 80, maybe a couple of you. But when the original studies were done for isotretinoin, the end to get that approved in the pivotal study was 89 people. And here you can see in this trial, 925 people and this is sip which stands for cipher it's a company from canada that developed this and again this was a non-inferiority study that was mandated by the fda now the fda as we know can be tough to deal with And they had the opportunity here to get this company to do all these safety studies that they always wanted to know about. They checked vision, hearing, bones, everything. I guess they probably hoped that they would find something they could reject it, but they didn't. They accepted it. But it was a non-inferiority study. uh, And in terms of efficacy, the two, the generic and the uh, Ranbaxy product, which is a company that has it now called Zorica, they were efficaciously similar. But the big question was, as you'll see as we progress, is the amount of plasma absorption. Much, much higher levels. And, of course, the question was, if you have much higher levels, will you have more side effects? And the answer is no. There were no statistical difference in side effects between the two groups. And they were mandated a special menu or diet that they had to take. So, a couple of factoids out here. It's very poorly solubilized molecule. And I don't know, I know until I saw this data about a year and a half ago, I didn't spend a whole lot of time with my patients telling them what they should eat. I said, well, take this pill after you eat. I don't know if any of you guys were smart enough to know that you had to have a 50 gram fat diet to get the maximum absorption. And I know we have a lot of ladies here, I don't want to be chauvinistic, but a lot of you guys wouldn't eat the stuff that you have to eat, we'll show you a couple pictures soon on. But again, this is the big point. There's a 60% swing in bioavailability in the plasma levels if you take it fasting compared to fed. And to me, the relapse rate, they're inversely proportional. Every type of isotretinoin dosage works. 0, 0.1, 0, 0.5, 1.0, 2.0 mg per kg. They all work. The question is relapse. And it's inversely proportional. The lower the dosage, the higher the relapse. And this was a very good study where they had four-arm crossover. So every patient in the study got the Accutane, I didn't say that, but this was head-to-head against Accutane, and again, back in the early 2000s, when some of the branded generics first came out, there was a lot of buzz, a lot of the old farts, if you will, doctors saying, hey, this generic stuff doesn't seem to work as good as Accutane, and that was a big buzz, and this study compared it head-to-head because it was done in Canada, and you can still get the brand Accutane in Canada. We all know it was taken off the market in the U.S. because of the competition. All the branded generics ate up the market share and, of course, because of the lawsuits, which because of their PI, left them um, open to some of these lawsuits. So again, 93% of all prescriptions come from Dermos offices and probably the core here, 3,500, probably most of the PAs, the guys are writing that. You guys are seeing the patients. Your prescribers, the MDs sitting there at their desks with their feet up and just want you guys to see all the patients. Isn't that the way it goes? No? So 2006, there was a reduction, as we said. The half-life is 18 to 19 hours and this brand was removed, as some of you guys know. Now, in England, they don't have I Pledge. They have clinical vigilance. And in Canada, they have the retinoid uh, pregnancy prevention program. So that's interesting. Because in the study that I just showed you, the only person that got pregnant was in the US with the iPledge program. So factoids. No safe dose. You can take this once or twice. It's all you need to do is to cause a deformed baby. The most critical time is 15 to 40 days post-conception, but it can happen anytime. Even mental retardation in babies that look normal are found. So the baby may look fine, but later on in life, they find out they have mental retardation. Triglycerides go up 50%. I was having a nice lunch today when my office called a guy I saw yesterday. We sent him to the lab, and his triglycerides were 1100 the guy didn't even look like a big old boy, he, well he was skinnier than me, but uh, he, he was 41 years old, and this is a risk for pancreatitis and heart attack. So again, occasionally you can really help patients by putting them on this medication. When you get the blood test back, you can see some crazy abnormalities. So we'll of course send him to his primary care doctor and get that straightened out before we continue. So again, over 800, you have the risk of pancreatitis, it usually increases in the first couple of months and then stabilizes. I've had one patient since 1982, and I just got out of my residency when this was approved in September. So I was using a lot of this because as a resident, I was involved in one of the dose-finding uh, studies. But if the liver function tests are more than three times normal, then you might want to stop it and find out what's going on. So this is the sip isotretinoin and this unlike the previous uh, presentation is available now in all sizes 10 20 30 and 40 and it delivers the expected clinical response basically whether the patient eats or if it doesn't patient doesn't eat you still get a very high uh, levels in the plasma as we'll show you so again Approximately two times more bioavailability when patients are fasting, and this is against Accutane, the premier product up till now. So the light dose technology, basically they uh, heat it up, make it uh, soft, they, they freeze it and put it encapsulate into this lipid matrix, so that goes through the stomach, and you have maximum absorption in the small intestine, which is the rationale, and there is a couple of other medications that have that same thing. But the safety profile, as we mentioned previously, is no different than the... Uh, generic in terms of safety, even though it's higher plasma levels, and there is no substitution. This is BX rated. So if you write isotretinoin, you know, that can be any generic. But if you write Zorica, they're not supposed to change it at the pharmacy level. Again, this is an issue we're not going to get into, managed care. But this is the menu that everybody was supposed to follow in this study. And you can see, well, five slices of bacon, maybe me and Duke, if he's still around here, probably the only guys that can knock off five slices of bacon. But as you can see, the important thing is that 50.1 gram is what the FDA mandates is the proper diet for this person to take in order to get the maximum absorption, and therefore we hope the maximum clinical response. Dutchie Donuts, by the way, unless you're in Rochester or Buffalo, New York, you can't get those. So the important thing to understand is that this must be taken with food, and it should be supervised by a parent. Now, I don't want to be chauvinistic, but what dad or mom is getting up in the morning and making their kid a breakfast like that? I don't believe you can get that at Denny's. If you can, it'll probably be 10 or $11. So this is supposed to be the kind of meal you eat to get the maximum absorption. You see two eggs and fried butter? two strips of bacon. Well, the other diet was five. But you had uh, two uh, tablespoons uh, teaspoons of uh, peanut butter. So again, this is what you're supposed to do. And not only once, but twice a day. So there's some young ladies in this room that for your lunch or supper, you can't get your mouth around that Baconator. But that'll get you 50 grams there. So that's what you're supposed to be doing to get the maximum benefit of this drug, isotretinoin. And if you don't, you got to try and hope that the insurance covers isotretinoin. Now here's a nice little slide, and it's a generic. This is a patient who took generic isotretinoin, 240 milligram pills a day. Here, if he ate the meal that we talked about, you've got a very nice high 10,000 plasma level. But if he didn't, if the, or she, they fasted, you're talking here about almost three times the difference between the two. So to me, I don't understand how you can get the same results with a generic isotretinoin as you can with this new form of isotretinoin. It just doesn't make sense. Those plasma levels are particularly significant. And we all know about the crazy eating habits. Here, we see about a third of adolescents aged 14 to 18 skip breakfast, 25% of older uh, people miss breakfast, and in the U.K. 14, 15-year-old kids uh, missed breakfast about 40 percent, also went without lunch. So you're talking about a whole lot of kids that aren't eating. And the big old boys roll out of bed in the morning, they just put their clothes on and go to school. They probably don't even eat breakfast. So if you look under the area under the curve, effective fasting on isotretinoin, in this PK study comparing absorica to Accutane, you see more than twice the plasma levels, the concentration with the absorica than the Accutane when they're not eating the proper diet, when they're fasting. And that even includes the biggest metabolite for oxoisotretinoin. So I think that's significant. I may be wrong, but I think so. So again, the CIPISO to me is the most efficacious form of isotretinoin, less food dependence, more consistent absorption, you don't have to worry about oxidation, GI irritation, and the company's going to have to do some studies to show whether this type of isotretinoin gives you less relapse than the other ones. And that's going to take four or five years, I think, before they can get that. So again, the major advantage, less chance of relapse. Okay, we're going to look at access one and two. We've seen access one, but access two, what do you do even in isotretinoin patients when they finish? You just say, okay, we'll see you when you break out again. Well, you know, we need to do something topically. So we're going to look at the access to. Now here are the baseline of these patients. And again, if patients like this walked into my office, I probably would certainly consider putting them on isotretinoin. But again, all these here, you can see also the diversity. You have a girl, she looks like a Catholic school girl. This is definitely a a girl from Puerto Rico, one of the arms was in Puerto Rico. And this is the man formerly called Prince. I think some of you may be familiar with him. So the ig success rate, let's orient you here now. So when you have The IGA success is either clear or almost clear. You want to be high. Higher is better. So in Access 1, half the patients were in Adapalene and Benzoyl Peroxide, uh, Epiduo, and 100 milligrams doxycycline. And the other half were on vehicle and doxycycline. And you can see a much higher percentage got there. So then they re-randomized these patients. didn't matter what they took the first 12 weeks. But the next 24 weeks was significant. So here, the group that got the Adapalene, the Epiduo, and Doxy, they got Epiduo topically for the next 24 weeks, and the other half of that group got vehicle. And you can see statistically significant at each time frame. And if we look here at the group that got the vehicle and the Doxy, you can see that the groups that got the Epiduo after finishing did much, much better. And if you're talking about, from the beginning, the ones that got the Epiduo from week one, through week 36 did much better. Now if we look here, inflammatory lesion count. So now this is the opposite. The lower the better. So you want to kill inflammatory lesions, so the greater uh, success here is to be lower. And again, the Epiduo and Doxy versus the vehicle, same thing. Now you see this patient got the Epiduo, the other one got the vehicle. No uh, significant difference from every time point. And the group that got the vehicle in Doxy, now they split it up, and again, the group that got the the EpiDuo did much better. So let's look at the pictures, because showing you all those lines and graphs doesn't mean much. So here's a baseline in this Hispanic girl. Here she is, baseline, here she is at the end of 12 weeks, after taking Doxy and Epiduo, and you can see significant improvement. But I believe all of you will agree with me that at the end of 36 weeks, just on Epiduo, she continues to improve from there to there. Anybody disagree? She's better here? If you do, the doors are still open. I'm kidding. All right, and here's a guy, and this really shows a point where, well, he again began on the Epiduo and the Doxy for 12 weeks, and then at the end, for the next 24 weeks, he got the vehicle, and I think everybody will agree that he lost efficacy, he's worse. So again, even in my isotretinoin patients, when I finish, I give them a little spiel about using topical stuff to clean, and then give them a prescription for Epiduo, and tell them that hopefully that'll maintain the improvement they have. All right. There's a whole lot of different moisturizers we can talk about and get into. I'm going to talk about this group uh, just for the reason that they have the most science, Cetaphil since the 1940s, 114 studies in over 3,300 patients. So this really has the most basic science. And everybody here knows what ESP is, right? we got some Dion Warwick fans out here. Well, this is DSP, not ESP. Disease-specific products. And these are formulated, and all these products that come out now have the advantage of all the great science and the vehicles, putting in all the proper things to make these things less able to have difficulties with uh, you know transepidermal water loss and, and all that type of thing. But let's take a quick look here. Instead of uh, the sodium lauryl sulfate, a detergent, you have zinc coeth sulfate, and this even gets soapy in, in low pHs. The glycerin is a humectant, it's a moisturizer. This, the, uh, potassium glycyzerate, this is the same licorice extract that's in the topoclare, if any of you guys are familiar with that device, in atopic dermatitis. It's very soothing. And the zinc gluconate is also an anti-inflammatory. Here in the moisturizer, the 30. You have this oleosome technology, and this is kind of these little lipid uh, plant uh, type of seeds that actually have a membrane that protect the sunscreen from being separated from the other product. So you have less UV filters than the other competitor products, and less chance for irritation. So you can put less in there and still get the SPF of 30. Then they have a lantanoid, which is a nice soothing product. Again, this glycerinic acid is another licorice extract. But I think this is nice. You know how most kids, and not all of them, have very oily skin, and particularly the girls. The, PPM, the PMA and uh, the uh, silica prevent that shiny, oily look. It absorbs that. So again, this is a product that's been formulated scientifically. In head-to-head studies looking at corneometry, it beats some of the different competitors at every timeline. So again, this is a product that is designed properly and it has some uh, additive effects for your patients that you might want to consider. Well, I put some kind of pictures in here. These these almost look like paintings, surrealistic. But every one of these pictures that we're going to show today actually exists someplace in the world. So, next we're going to move on to atopic dermatitis. And I think, to me, probably the most revolutionizing change in atopic dermatitis was Amy Paller finding that bleach baths were so effective in these kids, because... You guys know, the parents come in, the last thing you want to do is keep these kids on oral antibiotics. You know, bacterial resistance, other pro- it's just not a good thing to do. But what the heck can you do when they come in broken out, and you know there's a staph aureus colonization in this group of kids, probably because they have a problem with cathelicidins. So the bleach baths, when she first came out with that, were very, very successful in helping patients to avoid having to take chronic antibiotics and it was an easy thing to do, except that getting kids in the bath, some of the kids didn't have bathtubs in their houses, and so there have been a bunch of products that have come out that simulate the same mixture that you put in the bath, but you can just put it on. So this is one of them. It's a special body wash. It comes in a uh, body wash, a facial wash, and a sport wash. And again, it has uh, the typical hypochlorous chlorate in here. This study showed some pictures. We'll just run through them quickly, showing you a patient here who just using the wash. Improvement here in 10 weeks. Case number 11 in this study. Baseline, eight weeks later. And this is just with the cleanser. So this stuff helps. Obviously, the kid's not perfect. And there are other things that could be added to that as you guys decide. Moisturizers, even using topical corticosteroids, whatever you like. Again, here's another case showing you the baseline week two, week six, week ten, baseline week four. 8, 12. So you get the picture. Now here's another issue off-label. I get these patients, and if you guys practice in a high humidity location in Georgia, Florida, the south, you get these patients coming in with this folliculitis on the back that never goes away, and you say, my God, how many times can I give them doxycycline, minocycline? Well here is a patient who's on minocycline, then added the wash and did better. So this stuff will help. It's not going to cure everything. Another product is the Orstat Hydrogel, and this comes in a kit two as well as single. And this is a medical device, and again, it went through the NDA to get approved, and it had to pass these stringent tests that the FDA makes them do the USP test, and it had a log rate with a kill rate of 99%. But the hypochlorous acid well, this is what happens in your immune system. When the neutrophil confronts, an aller- well, a microbe, it produces this hypochlorous acid, and that's how it kills some of these bacteria. So this is formulated into this product, and here you can see in the study, it reduces itching here by day one, by day three, then by adding their uh, Hyalotopic Plus, which is their moisturizer, which also has some very nice ingredients in that to increase linoleic acid and ceramides. This had a 95% reduction in itching. Here's a case the, uh, of showing you a patient who at uh, day seven, this is the baseline, day seven just using uh, the Orstat gel twi- uh, twice a day for three days, then adding the hototopic Plus, no antibiotics, topical, systemic, pretty good results. This is a uh, patient of Jason Smith, who I think spoke at one o'clock. Jason and I were together last weekend in Dallas, and you know, Jason was so happy at the halftime of the Alabama-LSU game. He's not really an LSU fan. He's from LSU, but he claims to be a Tennessee fan, which is probably worse. But anyway, he had LSU plus 14, right? And at halftime, it looked like a lock. It was going to be a field goal or a touchdown, and I said, well, Jay, you got a lock, and you know, I wish there somebody would come and offer of me that same bat. Well, the second half was a turnaround, and of course, Alabama won by 21, so he lost the game in his bet. But here's a, one of his patients showing you 12 days later a very nice response. So give him some extra high ratings because he's really down this week. I can't tell you. I got him a couple times about that. This is one from Mount Sinai showing you topical uh, using the uh, Orstat for twice a day for five days and then for the next two weeks adding the halotopic Plus. Pretty good results. And this is what the kit looks like. So again, for the same price you get the kit. I know in a lot of dermatology offices people don't like kits, but you know, to me this is a no-win situation. Even if they don't want to use the Hyalotopic Plus, they still get it and they could give it to their mom and dad to use the moisturizer if they don't, but it's a very nice product that can be used here. And this is a study done over at Mount Sinai. And this is comparing Holotopic Plus with Pamecrolemus. Now, that's Eladil. Now, that, to get approved, had to go to a pivotal, uh, pivotal 3 study. And that is pretty significant to me. And now they're comparing it to just a moisturizer. And even though this wasn't empowered to be statistically significant, you can see that the HalaTopic Plus outperforms the Eladil. And the amazing thing is that more than twice as many patients preferred that. Atropro, the third product in this realm of companies that have produced products to assimilate the bleach bath, is another one, very similar. And here you can see that their constituents, the dimethicone for moisturizer and hypochlorous acid, are what's used to kill the bacteria. And you can see pretty nice results here, that by day 14, you have 88% reduction in itching. And then they have a competitor product, too. The Neosalis is their moisturizer that goes with that. And here's Rebecca Smith. I think she's in Charlotte, but she's originally from Birmingham, showing a patient doing pretty well. So these things work. You just have to decide which one you like. I've been adding, sometimes doubling up, using the cleanser with the uh, topical product uh, that also has a moisturizer in it. It's pretty nice. Anybody been here? <laughs> Cosmetics. Of course, a lot of you guys do cosmetics, some of you don't. I'm not a cosmetic guy. I don't want those patients coming back the next day, oh, you missed a spot here, or uh, they're probably more difficult to deal with. But uh, anyway, everyone wants to be beautiful. Some of you old timers remember old Billy Crystal, Saturday Night Live, when he made this famous comment, it's better to look good than feel good. It's been a long time since White Chocolate told me that I looked marvelous. But uh, that was some of the lines from the program, which were great. But anyway, there's a new toxin out on the block, Xeomin. There was a little litigation between that and one of the other companies, but it did come out. I don't know where they come up with these crazy names, but I think the next slide uh, shows you. Incobotulinum toxin, they have the ANA, and I can't remember what the other one is. I don't do that stuff, but the FDA is doing whatever they can to mess up the names in these things. But anyway, they have some pretty good results here. If you look at this, here's day zero and day 180, you say, man, doesn't look like there's any difference to me. And this is six months later, but now if you do the old squint test, you can see the difference here. And again, it's uh, six months later and they still uh, seem to be doing pretty good. They also have a nice filler. They have three that are approved in Europe. Only the basic is approved in the U.S. But this has some advantages over the Restylane and Juvederm. You have an increased concentration of hyaluronic acid, longer chains, and uh, also you have double cross-linking. So you can use this here superficially for the crow's lines. You don't get the Tyndall effect, the bluing. And uh, this is, again, the basic. You could use it here in the glabella. So besides the toxin, you could also use this, which might get you longer uh, improvement. And then here showing you the nasolabial fold marionette lines, showing you that, uh, how the intense would work. And this is due to the increase in cross-linking and a higher concentration of hyalonic acid. And there's another toxin that's supposed to be coming out, a Puritan, I think it is. I don't know if it's approved yet, but it should be here soon. Here's some nice pictures showing you the nasolabial fold and the marionette lines. Hope you all don't mind me just going one way. And here, I think this is a beautiful job with the lips. I mean, we've seen, and I'm sure all of you have some horrendous lips from overuse of this product, but whoever did this is a a gifted person. And the glabella lines. Okay, adapalene, this snuck in. Jonathan Weiss here in Atlanta was part of this study showing you here that using adapalene gel 3, and 1, most of us say, hey, you got to use the retinoic acid for photoaging. But here you're showing the global assessment of improvement in solar lentigines, where these two do better than the vehicle. Here, it results in photoaging, where you can see global appearance, fine wrinkles. We know that the uh, retinoids work for fine wrinkles, and they don't work for coarse wrinkles, so that's a pretty accurate study here. But again, you can get some improvement. Now, the late Michael Jackson, you know, we didn't know where he was going with all those uh, surgeries he had, but I found this picture and said, my God, this is the look he was going for. Fungus. Now, fungus we see, especially in the south. Again, I know this is a national meeting, and I know there were over 400 people. This is a great turnout. Rose should uh, take a bow for a, uh, this. is a lot better than St. Louis, right? although it is bad weather, but anyway, uh, it's a great turnout, and uh, again, this is the same kind of thing. We see a lot of fungus in our offices, particularly in the south, the humidity and all the athletes, you know, uh, sweating, wearing those tight socks, and this is probably an important slide, uh, ergosterol. This is an important Uh, component of the cell membrane and fungi. And if you do not get ergosterol, then you cannot proliferate the fungus. So the medicines here, the two groups, allilamines, imidazoles, that is designed to stop it. Now here the allilamines stop it early, upstream, if you want to call it that. Squalene does not get here because of the blockage here. So two things happen. One, you don't get the ergosterol, and two, you get a toxic amount of squalene. And that's what makes it fungicidal, as opposed to fungistatic, which the imidazoles break here at 14-alpha-dimethylase and preventing their and and their fungistatic. So this is a study uh, with the cream. Also, it was repeated with the gel with the same results, and it was a very nice study. But the interesting study here, this was Tinucroris. These patients only had the nephetaphine cream once a day for two weeks. And you can see the white or gray graft here is improvement at the end of two weeks. So they got it once a day for two weeks and then stopped. And then the other, the blue, aqua, whatever color you want to call it, that was looked at at four weeks after not receiving the drug for two weeks, and you can see the continued improvement. Here, the complete cure is the toughest one to maintain. You have total mycological cure uh, cure where you have negative uh, culture and and KOH, as well as clinical, and then it gets a little bit easier to to be positive. Here the clinical success is zero to one on a scale of four of redness, scaling, and itching. And you can see, though, that the four weeks are better than the two weeks, even though they didn't use the product. And here if we look at tinea pedis, which is even tougher, you can see this was a six-week study. But again, they only got the medication once a day for two weeks, and then they got nothing for the next four weeks. And here you can take a look and see that two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, it continues to improve even though they only use the medication for the first two weeks. So what does that boil down to? It's lipophilicity, or perhaps keratin, Keratin uh, loving of the drug, it it, it loves the stratum corneum, which is where the money is. In fungi, you see in the stratum corneum where you have all the fungi, and this medication just seems to love to be in the high stratum corneum where the fungus is, and it stays there. A study by Menke showed that one application, five to ten days later, had over 300 times the MIC to kill many of the different bacteria and yeast that we see. So again... This is a type of uh, drug that when you apply it, it stays where you want it, in the stratum corneum. Lipophilicity, keratin-loving type of uh, medication. Now, there was recently, about 10 days ago, too soon for me to put it up there, but Acosia. This is a foam antifungal cream. And this is uh, uh, also a, a, a triazole or a azole cream that's once a day. And I know there's a lot of people out there that believe in the foams. Some people feel the foams are less irritating. They penetrate more. So that'll be coming out very soon, Acosia. So look for it in the theater near you. This is a nice little uh, waterfall. Porphyria cutanea tartar. This is the kind of disease, and I had yesterday two patients come to my office. One had been to another dermatologist and said he walked into the room and didn't come anywhere near her and just wrote a prescription for a cream. And the other one went to the emergency room, and he said the doctor didn't even come near him, like he had the plague. But in any event, PCT is one of those diagnoses that you could walk in the room, look at the patient, and you know what they have if you've seen one or two of them. And again, this is an abnormality in the heme biosynthesis. We know that there are different problems with uroprofenogen, decarboxylate, the enzyme, there's type 1 are acquired, and the clinical presentation is unforgettable. By the way, I think this is where the lore of vampires came from, the various types of porphyrias. The more systemic ones got the red teeth at night and all that. But anyway, they present with photosensitivity, vesicles, bull eye, miliosis when they heal, hypertrichosis again on the face, and this can be initiated from ETOH, drinking, estrogen pills, women taking that, Hep C, and different insecticides. There was a whole run back in the 50s in Turkey where there was an insecticide sprayed on wheat that caused a rash of these cases. So how do you treat these? This is not so easy. You have to avoid sun, Drinking And most of these patients are big drinkers where they sit down and knock off a, uh, you know, a six-pack or two packs And, of course, oral birth control pills. You need to use sunscreen. And probably the safest thing to do is therapeutic phlebotomies, but safe for the doctor in the sense that you don't have to worry about drug interactions and all that. But it's very difficult for the patient. Patients have to go uh, usually to a uh, hospital facility where the cost is high, it takes time, they have to miss work. Low-dose antimalarial medication is a good choice, but if patients still drink, they can have a very toxic liver reaction. So the phlebotomies are expensive, inconvenient, cumbersome, and they're contraindicated when you have patients who have anemia, HIV, or different types of uh, systemic diseases like cardiopulmonary. Nobody accuse me of being Marco Rubio, please. Now, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. What are you going to do with these patients? Well, they don't want to go to the phlebotomy. Their insurance doesn't cover it. It's expensive. They have to miss work, blah, blah, blah. So there's this uh, article that recently came out and telling about this chelator, an oral medication approved for thalassemia, sickle cell, myeloplastic, dysplastic syndromes. And the study showed the patient took one pill a day for two months, and then if they didn't get better, they increased it to two. They did hearing and eye exams, And the results were that there were two dropouts, but at the end of two months, uh, blisters continued in everybody. But if they did the BID dosage, all patients stopped blisters. So again, this may be something to come out. And again, this was uh, the reference of anybody. But I think it's all in your handout. I I did give you an extensive handout. Well, Vietnam, it's amazing how many friends of mine are going down there as tourists. I'd kind of be a little bit reluctant, but uh, I guess there are some beautiful places. Psoriasis. That uh, is an important topic, and unlike yesterday, I know all you guys do prescribe (laughs) biologics. But anyway, the role of interleukin-17 family, that's the latest buzz, is that we're looking at different types of uh, treatments. All these new drugs are coming out. Companies are spending a fortune on these, looking for something that will work really well and have low side effects. So here you can see that uh, the Th17 seems to be an important aspect. You can see here that interferon gamma, tumor necrosis factor alpha, these things are products of the Th1 cells. And apparently that when you see high levels in uh, skin, the interleukin-17 here uh, also produces this and significantly affects that. So this shows you that you see this. This is a selective one. There are five uh, receptors and six actual uh, interleukins in the family. I think the next slide shows that. And there's going to be three and maybe four of these new products coming out in the next year or two. The first one's supposed to come out sometime next year. And this is a selective one where it selectively hits interleukin-17A. There's another one coming out soon after that, does that, And then one of the companies has a, a receptor, which will knock out all those things. And we're looking at, if you read the New England Journal, they have a couple articles about these uh, phase uh, three studies. You'll see that we're talking about, I think the next slide shows it. Okay, this one, is at 75, a positive 75, 85% at week 12. And they're also showing pretty high numbers in positive 90 and 100. So those of you, like me, if you've been using biologics for a long time, you know your patients come back. Sometimes they do well in the beginning, then they start to have breaking out. This may be a nice way to put your patients who don't do well. I've got one patient who's tried everything. He's tried uh, uh, Enbrel. He's tried Raptiva, He's tried um, the Umara. He's tried Stelaria. hadn't done anything. So this might be something for those kind of patients, and we all have a couple of those in our practices. Rosacea. Okay. Well, uh, up until now, all the studies that were done, we have some very nice products out there. Azelaic acid, metronidazole. Some of you guys may like sodium sulfacetamide, but those are all for type 2, for the papules and pustules. So what do you got to offer for the type 1? Well, this new medication, well, first, let's show you what that is. I know all you guys are familiar with that. Up till now, you had to be a cosmetic person. You had to use IPL, V-beam, laser, whatever, to get rid of the redness because the topical and systemic uh, products just didn't work for that. Uh, I've tried a couple of these. I've never had any success using these uh, Uh, anti-flushing products that uh, don't seem to work, and again, some of them may be a little bit dangerous. So recently, August 23rd, this product, Merveso, was approved, and this is topical bromonidine, which is used for glaucoma in a liquid solution called AlphaGan. And again, the rationale here is that this is highly selective alpha-2-adrenergic postsynaptic agonist to the smooth muscle uh, receptors. What it does is that it fixes to the smooth muscle receptors and squeezes the blood out. It causes it to s- squeeze out into the larger vessels. And this has a thousandfold greater selectivity for alpha-2 than alpha-1. I'll tell you a couple minutes while that is. So the hypothesis was that this topical formulation would significantly reduce the redness and the type of rosacea. And here's what we're talking about. You have on the uh, small arterioles, these little receptor sites, Vermonidine would fix on that and then press and all the blood from these would go out, okay? The study design was pretty good. They used the 0.5, and then this is what was used in the AlphaGan, the liquid solution, the eye drops that were used. So they borrowed that, and that gave them the ability to use 20 years of the safety data from AlphaGan. Okay, and they compared it against vehicle once a day. And this is kind of interesting. Well, forget that subjects with 1E, e, but subjects with at least 1AE related to the study. So the surprising thing here is that the strongest concentration had the least amount of side effects due to the drug. So that was what they went with. And again, a single application here, it works within 30 minutes. The maximum effect is about six hours, but it works till 12 hours. And I've got a couple uh, little video we'll show you in a minute. But again, this is showing you, these are the phase two studies before and after. And you can see the next one is the stripes. This is really uh, dramatic where, you know, when they use the medication, it got rid of it. And when they didn't, you got the redness. And here, I'm gonna just show you this little video here we're showing you hour 3 looks good, hour 6 looks good, 9 still pretty good, 12, I think a lot of people would be very happy with that, you could call that at least a positive 50 if you're talking about psoriasis, you know, what do you do with these patients, there's really not much to do. And some of you may have seen this, you've been to some dinner program, but to me this is pretty dramatic stuff, so I thought some of you who might not have seen it would like to see this. And again, this is what's new. This is a new product, and uh, it's mi- the unmet need of the ETR that we haven't had. Here's old Grumpy. Even Grumpy does pretty good. Then we should have the Canfields RBX coming up, which is kind of a nice little picture where it shows you, you know, where you actually see the isolation when you use the medication of where the big blood vessels are. So if you're a cosmetic person, this, you could put this on uh, and maybe be able to map the places that you want to go back and still do your cosmetic stuff because this doesn't get rid of the telangiectasias, uh, the fixed vessels. All it does is just really get rid of the redness. So if you're a cosmetic person, this is not really, this probably will help you because now patients will actually be able to isolate the places that bother them. And the way I put this together is 12 hours, right? So if a man or a woman puts this in the morning, they go to work eight hours, go to happy hour, make their conquest, and by the time the lights are off, you know, the redness doesn't come back, so (laughs) they'll wait till the morning. All right, now this is a competitor uh, product. This is the old Afrin-Vizine, and again, this doesn't have the strong Alpha-2, uh, so I'm not sure this is going to be as effective, but this will probably be out in a year, year and a half. It's, it's a little bit behind. Severic dermatitis. How many times do we have patients come in our office, whether they're kids, moms, dads, asking, I don't want a steroid? Well, Uh, This is a novel, non-steroidal treatment of seborrheic dermatitis. It's a hyaluronic acid, which increases uh, the moisture in the skin. We all know it's seborrheic dermatitis and the overlap with rosacea. But here's a patient that got BioNEC twice a day. Again, it's non-steroidal and something that you can consider. They got a pretty nice coupon to make it reasonable. So again, the alternative when you don't want to use topical steroids, because we know even 1% over time is going to cause some problems. All right. now we're going to move into the hardest part of this talk, is the skin cancer. Kind of most interesting. Uh, Again, we have this hedgehog pathway, and how many of us have seen metastatic basal cells? I've seen one in my career, and I've been around 35 and a half years, including my residency. So that's probably not something that we're going to see, but locally advanced basal cell we certainly see a lot of that, where maybe most surgery is not an alternative because of the location. Uh, some of the people, the older people, can take uh, radiation where they have to get on the table every day for four or five weeks. So these are difficult problems. What are you going to do with these kind of patients? And, of course, we have basal cell nevis syndrome, where these patients have a whole lot of that stuff going on. So this is basically the hedgehog pathway, and I'll get to going back into the history of it, but basically this is a break and an accelerator. The brake is patched, and smoothened is the accelerator. So what happens in the normal consequences is that patch prevents smooth from accelerating and signaling for hyperproliferation of the cells. So again, patch stops it, so you don't have the GLI, the gliomer cells, causing the proliferation into all these rapidly growing basal cells. And about 90% of these are loss of function, where the patch loses its function, or uh, uh, overuse, where the Smoothen has a uh, type of mutation, and then that doesn't respond and just continues to stimulate. So the story is kind of an interesting one. Back in 1957 in Idaho, anybody here from Idaho? Nobody's come that far. So Idaho, okay, good. So what happened is that they had these uh, sheep grazing in the field in Idaho, and they ate these California corn lilies. And what happened was that they had a whole bunch of lambs born with one eye, cyclopses from the Odyssey of Homer. And they found that cyclopromamine was causing a problem in the hedgehog pathway, and that can cause all these different uh, problems here. Again, you see this normally in the uh, embryological development, but once at birth, the system stops and causes these problems. So even if you're a mo surgeon, I mean, these are pretty big lesions to, to deal with. Here it is, week 24, no basal cell. Baseline week 8, week 20, I mean, those are pretty nice results with just one pill a day. Now you have these big scab areas, but biopsy showed no basal cell. This was residual basal cell on biopsy, but again if you look, those are pretty good results even if he does have it. And they have a very stringent way of looking at this. If they had scar tissue, that was a failure. Even though there was no basal cell, it was scar tissue. And here you can see the results. Baseline. I mean, could you imagine tracing that out? And this was again another no residual basal cell. Pretty good. Now, Who here in this room would go after this and try and trace it out microscopically? Nobody right? So again uh, this was a patient that took it and I mean that still looks terrible but there's no basal cell in there so again you know when you have a patient like this and again you may have one once every five or ten years at least you have something else to offer them. Well there are side effects with this medication alopecia, which is not very happy. A lot of the women particularly, but they can wear wigs, uh, muscle spasms, and Y'all need to be aware of this. Uh, Discusia, which is loss of taste, is a big problem. They feel like everything's metal in their mouth. But you're going to see here uh, in, in, uh, later on that you're going to have to deal with these problems. Let's go back one. is that These are going to come to the dermatology office. So you need to be familiar with this Aravage, uh, which is a product that's used to treat these basal cells that nobody wants to touch. Now the last part we're going to talk about is melanomas. And now this is kind of really a very interesting aspect, because really and truly, I've always told my patients over the years, once they get to a certain point, there's really nothing you can do, and you've got to set your affairs straight. But now, there is new hope in treating these patients that heretofore, were possibly going to die. Now maybe they're going to get a little extension. And the way this is going is that if uh, our new medical system can afford to pay for this, maybe in five or ten years, you know, even patients with bad metastasis will do well. So uh, just to bring you up to date, uh, these this is uh, the anti-BRAF drug, and this was approved last year. This was approved this year, or two years ago, 2011. And then the anti ctl Uh, CTLA-4 was approved back in 2011 with that one and this is a new one. So these two were both GlaxoSmithKline, which I think many of you know have destroyed Stiefel, but uh, they have come out with these new medications for, for melanoma. And we're going to just show you quickly a little bit about that. Okay, you saw this with uh, Jason Smith's talk, so we won't talk about that. So again, this is now targeted. These are designer drugs where you look at the patient, you do a test to see if they're BRAF positive, you go one way, and uh, if not, there are other things. But epilimumab is an interesting human antibody. against a cytotoxic T-lymphocyte antigen 4. It targets an immune checkpoint. So what happens here, I think the next slide is... A, OK, when CTLA-4 is bound to T cells, it prevents them from behaving like T cells, which means vigilance and killing tumor cells. So that's bad, CTLA-4 is bad. And here's what happens here. The CTLA-4 here, you have an upregulation when you activate the T cell, and then this turns off the T cell. You can see that here. But then when you, act- when you put in the epilimumab, it blocks The CTLA-4, so now the T-cell can act like it's supposed to and be vigilant and go out there and kill the tumor cells. Now the interesting thing is it only works in 10 to 12 percent of patients, but just like that old expression about your kids, when he's good, he's really good, and when he's bad, he's really bad. So if this is good, then it really extends survival, and we're going to show you a couple of things there. So here's a patient, screening week seven. We 12, look at this. This guy is now clear and in remission, okay? I mean, you couldn't do that years ago. So again, survival rate, I won't throw this at the late stage in a day, but here you can see that uh, epilimumab has the overall survival of 9.6. This is the median survival here, but you have five patients that have lasted four years. And I think the other day somebody said 10 years, but that's not right. Four years is the longest that they've shown. But by and large, a year and a half is uh, what they're looking at now. Okay. Dosing, now this has side effects, and this is something, again, that probably we're going to see. Immune-related, you're going to have different types of uh, rashes, diarrhea, and all these type of things that patients are going to get. The next one will be where we really see a lot that come to dermatology offices, because side effects for that are squamous cells. So this was approved for metastatic uh, melanoma in 2011. So uh, this is now the BRAF melanoma. So again, you have this MAP kinase pathway, just like we showed you the ergosterol pathway for fungus. This is a pathway, and different things you can plug in and stop it from continuing to proliferate. And I guess about 50% of melanomas have a positive BRAF, okay? And 89, 80 to 90% of them are uh, V600E and K. So here's what happens here is that this goes to ERK and then you have the stimulation here. So by blocking here, there's two drugs, one blocks blocks the BRAF and there are two of those and then a new one that just got approved blocks the mek too, more downstream to prevent this. But unfortunately, the melanoma cells are too smart, kind of like uh, in acne, where a lot of the bacteria, the uh, staph, uh, can develop uh, different ways. Uh, uh, the P-acnes can develop ways to cause resistance to the antibiotic. And again, BRAF uh, inhibitors, they have the 600, the most common, and uh, there's, uh, of the 50% that are positive, 80 to 90 are E, and 5% are, are F, okay? And here's what's going on now. So but this is like passing the baton in a race. We have phosphorylization. So they block the uh, different types of uh, arenas to prevent phosphorylization to get to the next step on the K kinase highway. And again, uh, you have cyclic AMP and, and, uh, uh, and T triphosphate, side uh, uh, triphosphate. But here, what happens is that you have a block here, to the oncogenic pathway, and now they can not continue to go down and stimulate proliferation. And again, uh, this is a, a Genentech product that uh, has nice trials. They had uh, uh, head-to-head against carbazine, DTIC, which up until this time was there. But you have a Lazarus effect with these patients. This is a PET scan, and again, you don't have to be a radiologist, I certainly are not, to recognize all the terrible melanoma cells that are all over the body. But this you can see is in 15 days, they're almost all gone. So that's the good news. The bad news is that it can come back. So here you have a six- .9-month progression-free survival. So again, to us, that doesn't sound a lot, but if you're dying of melanoma, that's nice. And again, that's the median, so there are other patients that last longer. Here, compared to uh, uh, the uh, DTIC, the carbazine, you can see how uh, the, uh, the murinfenib can really outperform it. But the news is not all good, not all patients respond, and as I told you, they can develop quickly ways to circumvent the blockage and have other pathways. Here's a patient here, front and back, and you can see the day, this is baseline, and then the next is 15 weeks. So this guy is completely cleared up in 15 weeks with a Zelbarov. And then what happens here is that, I want to make sure I have the right, 23 weeks, he's back with metastatic disease. So probably the answer to this is one, combination therapy. But nothing is approved for combination therapy, and these drugs are so expensive that I don't know if Managed Care will ever be able to do both at once, and you have to start at the same time. You can't do one and then do the other. So this is going to be an issue, and some of the companies now are doing these combination therapies. So resistance occurs because melanoma cells find new ways to reactivate the path. And this is in your handout. I won't belabor this. It's near the end of the day. But the thing that we need to know as dermatology PAs and dermatologists is that you're going to get rashes, photosensitivity, and squamous cell carcinomas. So it's recommended that these patients see a dermatologist or, you know, dermatology office every three months. And again, we need to be familiar with that, because you can see the high rate of these things, and this is what they look like. And again, they're easily resected, ED&C or excisional surgery, but they're going to continue to get more as time goes on. So, again, these are things that we have to see, and they happen quickly, in 20 weeks. Side effects... Again, you have arthralgias, hyperkeratosis, pyrexia. This is the new one. This is very similar to the BRAF. You have two, the Zolborov, and this new one that was approved a couple of months ago, and they work the same, have similar results, but different side effects. This patient doesn't have as many squamous cells, but they have really bad pyrexia, and they do have a smaller amount of that, and arthralgias, hyperkeratosis rash. So again, this is the typical side effects. It's in your, your book. We're going to be seeing these patients as more and more patients go to local oncologists, not just university centers where they're doing studies, and get on these medications. So again, the MEC is another way. It's further down the pathway, and uh, uh, it too, unfortunately, they develop ways to circumvent the blockage. So while MEC mutations are much less they can be critical in downstream signaling. And again, what's going to happen in the end is we're just going to be able to plug in based on the COBIA test, whether they're BRAF positive or whatever the problem is, to give them the necessary drug. So that's going to change everything. So, again, we kind of took a little stroll through uh, the dermatology world. There's a whole lot of other things out there that we didn't get to talk about. But, again, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I just want you to know that we would love to have some of you come and attend our meetings. Uh, You can find our different meetings on our website. I used to be part of this P&T committee, but after the two-month visits uh, that I made and I came home inebriated, my wife made me uh, quit the group. But hopefully you all come to Alabama and maybe we'll have another championship this year. But thank you all for attending. Hope you enjoy the rest of your time.